0: Well, good morning, Lighthouse family. Miss you a whole bunch, and I am looking forward to when we can gather back in here. I know a lot of you have been asking, when is that going to happen? I'm starting to get those questions, and so let me just let you know what we know. And that is, right now, we're just waiting on our governor to give us the updated guidelines. I would anticipate that happening sometime this next week. When we hear those, we'll have a much better idea of what that looks like, and we will let you know as quickly as we do. Uh, The way I'm going to let you know about that is through our our email, so if you're not currently receiving emails from me, I've been sending out at least one, if not a couple a week. If you're not receiving them, all you need to do is go to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com, request to be added to that mailing list, and we'll make sure that you do. And you can also let us know about any prayer requests or things that are going on in your life that we can be kind of holding up. Or if you have questions about the church or how to get more involved, you can do that from uh, just emailing pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. Another thing I want to mention before I get started, some of you last week texted me and were like, hey, you look really red in the the video. And last week that was because we're still dialing in the brand new lights that we've been able to put in. Uh, This week, however, it has nothing to do with the lights. It has everything to do with the fact that I spent five hours standing in the middle of a park out in the sun. With a bunch of my fraternity brothers from uh, UCI. I hadn't seen many of them in 20 years, and it was really, really good to catch up with them yesterday. Uh, And it reminded me just how much life has changed over the last 20 years. I was thinking about it this morning. Change is tough. You know, it's one of those things where in the midst of it, we don't really love changing, particularly when it forces us to kind of examine some of the things that we ourselves are struggling with or perhaps things that we have come to take for granted and so we have a tendency to be pretty resistant to change and to growth even though that's what is necessary for us to grow and I've been thinking a little bit about our country Um, actually I've been thinking a lot about it because our country is in a lot of pain right now Our country has been undergoing a long season of change where we've been forced to look at some of the things that we maybe have taken for granted or things that have just been and we've been having to examine them. And it's not comfortable, but it's necessary if we hope to grow. And I was thinking a couple of years ago, we started looking at the way that um, our, our country needs to reckon with the way that women have been treated. And and with the Me Too movement and other things like that, where we began to examine what does it mean to begin to undermine the power structures that allow people to use their power to take advantage of women. And I'm grateful for those conversations, even though they've been incredibly uncomfortable, but it's necessary if we hope to grow. And then over the last couple of months, with the the death of Ahmaud Aubrey and then Brianna Taylor, and then... You know, George Floyd, and there's a a newer one that just happened yesterday out in Atlanta. And it's just like these constant reminders that there are issues of injustice in our country that we must face, that we must grapple through. But they're uncomfortable. We prefer not to do it. But if we hope to grow, then we need to grow. We need to look at these things. We need to be willing to do the hard work. To examine ourselves, and and I will I will confess, it is really really easy, when it comes to change, to simply point the finger at somebody else and say they're the problem. That's who needs to change. Whether it be a, a particular political party or leaders, and saying it's our governor, it's our president, it's the House of you know Representatives, it's the Senate, it, it's it's a. a, a somebody else, they've got to change. Or maybe it's the police officers, they need to change. And in the midst of this, as we point fingers, what we end up doing is forgetting that the change begins here. It's so much easier to point at somebody else because then it almost insulates us from having to do the hard work of change ourselves. But if we hope to see change in our country if we hope to see change in our neighborhoods, if we hope to see change in this world, then we must begin by looking here and saying, God, what are the things that I have accepted as reality? What are the things that I've been holding on to because it's comfortable, but in reality, these are getting in the way of growth? And and, and even more importantly, God, what are the things that I've been holding on to and I'm afraid to look at because it's uncomfortable, because I don't know what the answer is, because I don't know what the right balance is, but it's actually hindering my witness as a follower of Jesus Christ, as, an, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, living in the midst of the kingdom of America, if you will. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We are going to look at how we can begin to process through the discomfort of all of this conversation, but we're going to do so by looking at how the early church did it because we're not the first ones who are being faced with uh, injustice. We're not the first ones who are being faced with difficult choices that have a bearing on our witness. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go to Acts chapter 15. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there with me. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. And as you're turning there, Let me just remind you of where we've been so far. Let me give a little bit of context. Last week, we looked at the Apostle Paul and his traveling companion Barnabas as they left the the relative comfort of their home church in Antioch, and they traveled by boat all the way up to Asia. And when when they got up there, they went into a town, uh, Pisidian, Antioch. They walked into the town. They went into the synagogue because Paul's kind of method of sharing the gospel is he would start first with the Jews. And then after he shared the gospel with them, he would go to the Gentiles. But as we talked about last week, this wasn't a racist decision. This was not him being prejudicial. It was him being pragmatic because the reality is Jesus was the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. He was the one that Jews had been waiting for hundreds of years to come and redeem God's people and save them. Now, they may have had a misunderstanding of what enemy he was going to save them from. It wasn't Rome. It was sin. It was death. But still, they were the ones waiting. And so they were the lowest hanging fruit. They were the ones that it was easiest, who were speaking the same language when he said, let me introduce you to the gospel. Let me introduce you to the Messiah. And then he would go to the Gentiles and he would share, let me introduce you to the one who died to save your soul. What's interesting is that there were a lot of people there in and Antioch who embraced the gospel message and a little outpost of the church, not a building, a people, was birthed there in that town and then in the towns around it. But Paul experienced a tremendous amount of pushback. Specifically, he experienced pushback from the Jewish religious leaders, those who had up to that point held a monopoly on the spiritual influence over that village in regards to matters of of worshiping God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they pushed back specifically, Luke suggests, because they were jealous that Paul's message was gaining traction and it was beginning to loosen their grip on power. And man, if you want to make some people angry, begin to shake the foundation of their grip on power and you will find pushback comes very, very quickly. So they rejected the gospel message, the the Jewish religious leaders predominantly. But it it wasn't enough for them just to reject it. They also began to undermine Paul's credibility. They would follow him from town to town and begin to suggest... That this guy was a false prophet. That he was preaching something that was totally contrary to what they believed. That this Jesus couldn't possibly be the Messiah. And when that didn't work, when they couldn't reason with him, they began to undermine and attack his credibility as a person. They attacked his character. Because if you can't beat somebody in, in regards to your thinking, just lob a, a, a word at them. Like heretic or, or a false prophet. Or racist or whatever it is, right? That's the quickest way to break down a conversation is just to label somebody with a word, with a name, a derogatory statement that basically says you have no right to speak. Unfortunately, we're doing that, all of us. That's too broad a statement. I'm seeing way too much of that happening where we're just lobbing hurtful words and blanket statements at people and it's breaking down communication. Communication. So Paul experienced a tremendous amount of pushback from the powers that be, from the religious establishment, but it wasn't just from outside the church that pushback was coming. Growing pains were happening inside the church as well as people began to come into this beautiful, messy community of Christ followers, but they would bring with them baggage that they just couldn't quite let go of. And, and particularly, it was the Jewish converts that were bringing baggage because they they accepted that they were saved by grace but they just couldn't let go of the law of Moses right they had been brought up with it this is what ultimately led them to recognize I need a savior it's what led them to Jesus but once they found Jesus they couldn't let go of the law or they accepted the fact that they you know had the holy spirit in them this was God's stamp of ownership on them And yet they couldn't let go of the old stamp of ownership, which was circumcision. That was the old way of God marking them and saying, I've set you apart as my people. And they couldn't let that go, even though God was now marking their hearts and saying, you're one of mine and I'm going to empower you to live as one of my people. To live as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven in the kingdom of this world that you find yourself living in. They wanted to take hold of the kingdom of God, but they just couldn't let go of the kingdom of Israel. And and the analogy that I've been kind of playing with is it's almost like somebody who wants to backpack across the country to get to somebody that you know, this is, I just need to get to that person. If I can just be with him or her, I will be better. Better. And so they had all of these things, the law and the circumcision, that helped them make that trek, that helped give them guidance, that helped ultimately lead them to Christ. But once they got to Him, they couldn't put the backpack down because it had become too familiar, too comfortable, too much a part of how they understood following Him. And so the early church had a conundrum on their hands they were embracing Jesus. They had found their Messiah, but they just couldn't let go of the things that led them there. And they had to grapple with what does it mean to really take hold of Jesus? What does it take? And what does that mean for Gentiles who have not been raised as Jews, who have not been circumcised, who have not taken hold of the, the, the law of Moses and, and it hasn't framed their whole worldview? What do we do with them? Do they have to become Jewish? That's the question that they have to grapple with. And that's what we're going to explore today in Acts chapter 15. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Now Antioch on a map is actually north of Judea. But because Judea was hill country, you would always come down to other places. And they came down to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas and their church resided. And they began teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. Unless you get circumcised, unless you mark yourself as a follower, uh, uh, as a Jew, if you will, then then salvation means nothing to you. You can't take hold of Jesus. Well, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, as they began to make their way from Antioch south through Samaria, through the Galilean region on their way to Jerusalem... They began to tell how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers really glad. They were grateful that the Gentiles were coming to know Jesus. When they came to Jerusalem, which was the epicenter of Jewish worship, but it was also the the birthplace of the early church. So this is where they gathered together to begin to reason through how do we proceed from here? How are we going to make sense of these really confusing questions that have a tremendous amount of bearing on how we not only worship Jesus, but also invite others to worship him. When they came to Judea and Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. So pay attention to this because this is important. There were certain Pharisees, certain people who had been trained in the law of Moses, who were experts on the law, who rightfully recognized that Jesus was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. They embraced Jesus as their Savior, but they had a hard time letting go of the, the backpack full of law and responsibilities and, and, and rights and traditions and all of those other things. They couldn't lay it down. So some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they stood up in the midst of this gathering of the church leaders. And they said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. If Gentiles want to take hold of Jesus, he's a Jewish Messiah. So therefore they should become Jewish in order to take hold of Jesus. Just makes sense, doesn't it? So the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, I want to pause there for just a second. Because one of the things that we could easily overlook as we read through the story is that it seems as if the early church comes to their consensus really quickly, but they don't. Luke is skipping over a tremendous amount of conversation, the messiness of the grappling. What does this mean? This is a big question. And we find ourselves grappling with some really big questions right now, and it's not easy to make heads or tails of it. Do we think that black lives matter? You better believe it. Does that mean that we also support an organization that uses that as their name and has a whole long list of basically demands that they're making for people to acknowledge that black lives matter. No, we can't in good conscience convolute those two things. And so how do we proceed when we want to declare, yes, black lives matter, Hispanic lives matter, even if they're not here legally. People who have not had a voice up to this point, they matter anyway. And things that are considered injustice are still injustice even if it happens to people who aren't videotaped. Yes, that matters. But how do we proceed? How do we how do we speak up? What does it look like when when reform needs to happen but we are literally sacrificing police officers on the bonfire of change and saying and painting all public service people who are running to protect people with their own bodies? And yet we're treating them like they're the enemy. That grieves my heart. How do we proceed? What's the right way? When when should we speak? When should we just be quiet and listen? What does it look like to be a Christ follower here and now? How should I vote with my body, right? We may vote in November, but every single day we have the opportunity to vote with our body and the kind of change we want to see. But how should we vote with our time? with our talents, with the things that we have, how should we use them? What does it mean to be the church that our city, that our country, that our world needs now? That's not so clear. And there's a whole lot of conversation going on, just like there was in the early church. And it's okay to be in process. It is okay to not have all the answers. I certainly don't. And so what I find myself doing, what I found myself doing initially was doing a whole lot of talking, giving my best takes. And I think that some of that was good. I don't want to remain silent. But what I'm feeling convicted to do more right now is to listen. To listen to other voices and learn. And that's how the early church began. They started with listening. As people shared perspectives I need to listen to perspectives that I don't necessarily agree with. We need to be more open to not just surrounding ourselves with people who say exactly what our ears want to hear and people who just reiterate everything we agree with. We need to be willing to listen to people we disagree with. Not because they're automatically right and we're automatically wrong, but because if we're not willing to listen, A, we can't learn. And B, how can we expect them to listen to us? So after much discussion, this is verse 7, Peter got up. So this is the tail end of a whole long conversation that may have taken weeks and weeks. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice amongst you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Now we've talked about this before. We talked about how Peter was somebody who believed that Jesus was the Messiah to the Gentiles alone, that God had called the, I'm sorry, to the Jews alone. That God had set the Jews apart as his people and that's, that's who he was the Messiah for. But then God radically, you know, challenged his perspective. When he had a vision one day of a, a sheet full of animals, some clean, some unclean, totally breaking kosher custom. And God said, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And he said, no, 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 no. God, I, I, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God said, do not call something unclean that which I have made clean. And then the spirit led Peter to the house of a Roman centurion, a guy named Cornelius. And Peter shared the gospel with his whole household, his whole sphere of influence, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and they began to speak in tongues, just like the early church on the day of Pentecost spoke in tongues. And it was a powerful confirmation that God had embraced and accepted Gentiles just as he did the early church, Jews. And it was hard for Peter, but he acknowledged it, and he submitted To God, and now he gets up and he reminds them of this story that he shared with them several, several times. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice amongst you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed me and us that He accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as He did to us. He didn't discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith not by the mosaic law not by circumcision not by all of these other things now then why do you try to test god by putting on them on their necks on the gentiles a yoke of teaching and tradition that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear why are we trying to make them Live up to things we haven't even been able to live up to as the people of God who have been raised to live like this. No, we believe that it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So Peter gets up and he shares his perspective and the whole assembly became silent as Peter sits down and then Barnabas and Paul who had come from the church in Antioch, who had come from outside of Jerusalem. And had done this big missionary journey where they'd been sharing the gospel with Gentiles. And they'd seen God do amazing things. They get up to speak. And everybody sits down and they listen. As Barnabas and Paul told about the signs and wonders that God had done amongst the Gentiles through them. So they corroborate much of what Peter has just said. And when they had finished, James spoke up. Now, James was Jesus' half-brother. In the Gospels, James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They thought He thought his big brother was crazy. And he and his siblings and his mom came at one point to bring Jesus home because he was obviously out of his mind. But when he saw the resurrected Jesus, when he saw his brother in the flesh and he saw the nail holes... James's life was radically changed and he not only became a believer and a follower of Jesus, but he became a leader in the early church. And while Peter and Paul and others were out sharing the gospel in lots and lots of other cities, he stayed in Jerusalem and really became the leader of the early church there in Jerusalem. His voice carried weight. And this is what he says with his voice. Verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up. He said, brothers, listen to me. Simon Peter has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. And this, by the way, aligns with what the prophets said when it's written. And then he quotes Amos chapter 9. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things. Things known from long ago. In other words, Amos, hundreds of years before, had said, I will rebuild the people of God. I will gather them back together even though they've been scattered all over the world. Not only that, but I will gather in Gentiles, non-Jews, people who are not of the select little nation that God had created. We're going to gather them and they're going to become part of, of the kingdom of God as well. And he's saying, this is happening, guys. It's happening before our very eyes. He continues in verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore. This is what I feel should happen. He's he's now weighing in with all of the weight of his influence in the early church. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We shouldn't make it difficult for them. We shouldn't put impediments in their way to take hold of the gospel. They're saved by faith. They're not saved by following the Jewish Mosaic customs. They're not saved by being circumcised. Why on earth would we put on their shoulders the yoke that we couldn't even keep, as Peter has said? Instead, verse 20, instead, we should write to them and tell them to abstain from food polluted to idols, or food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. After all, the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, Interesting question here. <laughs> if you are removing all of the impediments, if you're saying we don't want anything to get in the way, then why on earth would you then add in as your last thing? But, but here's some, here are some impediments that we want to put, or here are some things that we would recommend. This has nothing to do with salvation. The reason that James spends the time to mention these things, food, food, that's been sacrificed to idols, sexual immorality, particularly probably interaction with temple prostitutes and things like that, as well as food that ha- has been strangled and still has its lifeblood. And all of these things have to do with Jews and Gentiles interacting, with table fellowship, with their ability to become one people. Because you have people that are very, come from very, very different backgrounds. And while both... Peter, James, John, uh, all of these church leaders are saying Gentiles don't have to become Jews. They're still suggesting that they need to be together. And so it doesn't make sense for us to say, hey, Jews, don't put impediments in the way of the Gentiles and not say to the Gentiles, hey, as you're coming in, please take into consideration the regular parts of what they are like consider them as well. Because at the end of the day, we're becoming one family. And so don't flaunt your freedoms. No, you're not saved by being circumcised. And no, you don't have to, you know, observe all the kosher laws. But when it comes to doing life together, consider them as well. Paul will say very, very similar things in Romans chapter 14 when he talks about the stronger brother who has more freedom in the Lord submitting his freedoms for the well-being of the weaker brother who feels like they don't have as many freedoms. I I can't drink wine. If somebody has no problem drinking a a a drink of alcohol without it potentially becoming, you know, overboard, but they're hanging out with somebody who has a history of alcoholism, submit your freedom for the love and well-being of your brother or your sister. Don't by your acting out of your freedom cause your brother or your sister to stumble. We get that. And that's all he's saying here. Consider your brothers and sisters of Jewish descent because at the end of the day, we want to be united. All right. But there's something even deeper here that I want us to recognize. And that is, this is a tremendously massive question that had huge ramifications for the early church. And it was costly for Peter for Paul and for Barnabas and for James to stand up and to use their voice to support people who weren't at the table. Remember who's around this table. This is the leadership of the early church, which is almost completely made up of uh, of Jewish Christians. Very strong, very vocal, very set in their ways Jewish Christians. There's not a whole lot of Gentiles that are at that table. And it would have been really easy for Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and for James to simply say, you know what, guys, we agree with you. They they need to become Jewish. They they need to get circumcised. They need to obey Jewish laws. It wouldn't have cost them anything. If anything, it would have shored up their respect from that group of individuals but it would have hindered the gospel. And it would have been an affront to what God had so clearly declared when he anointed the Gentiles without all of those other things happening. It would have undermined the gospel. It would have put walls around it that would have impeded Gentiles from coming. And so rather than simply protecting and preserving their influence in the early church, they put it on the line. This reminds me of of several places in Scripture where God calls His people who have influence to lay it down for the betterment of those who don't. Think of Psalm 82, verse 3, for instance. Hopefully, you'll be able to see that on your screens. Defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Right? Those of you who are strong, defend the weak. Those of you who have a voice speak up for those who do not, including those who aren't at the table to defend themselves. You speak up for them. You stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. That's what it means to be an ambassador of God. Not to try to preserve and to protect our influence, but to lay it down. This week, earlier uh, this week, In my devotional, I sent you uh, one that was based off of Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read it really quickly. You can turn there with me if you like. This is a chapter of the Bible that I have spent a lot of time in over the last several months. I find myself going back to Philippians chapter 2 over and over and over again. I'm really looking forward to September when we get to dive into this whole book together. But I just want to read what I think is one of the most important sections in Scripture right now for us to consider. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't do things based solely upon building yourself up and increasing your grip on power. Rather, in humility, Value others above yourself. Consider their needs above your own. Don't just look to your own interests, but the interests of others. And then he gives this explanation of what that looks like. He points to Jesus and he says, In all of your relationships with one another, have the same mindset that Jesus had. Remember, Jesus was in very nature God. He was the divine logos, the word through which God spoke the world into existence. And he was the one who ultimately inherited the world as his kingdom. It was all his. And yet he did not consider equality with God. He did not consider that lofty position something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself. He literally emptied himself of his godhood, took on human flesh, frail, fragile, fallible human flesh. He was born not to rich and powerful people so that he could be a king in a palace. He was born to a bunch of nobodies in a backwater in Galilee, in a barn. And he used his voice To speak up for the voiceless he moved towards the hurting he bound up the broken and he ultimately poured his own life out on the cross for us for for rebellious human beings image bearers who had basically begun to try to get their own way and he poured his life out for us and Paul is saying, you should model your life after Jesus, who from his position of privilege laid it down and said, How can I help other people? He didn't demand that people serve him, he sought to serve. He didn't make his disciples wash his feet, he washed their feet. He wasn't willing to let them push him into a position of being king. Instead, he became a sacrificial servant, even to the point of dying on the cross. Guys, it is not a problem that we have privilege. The question we need to consider is what do we do with the privilege that we have? It's not a problem to have a voice or a platform. The question becomes what do we do with the platform that we have? Because while this world is so busy trying to push one another down like children in a pool that are just trying to stay above the water, and so we reach out and we push another person down, Jesus showed us that when you know who you are and your feet are firmly planted on the bottom, when you are strong in your understanding of your identity and your purpose, then... You don't use that to lord it over people and remind them how much better you are than they are. You use that position of strength to reach out and lift others who are floundering up, to speak up for those who have no voice or who are not at the table, to care for the needs of those who have very little, those of us who have a lot. How can I use what you've entrusted to me, God, to help those who are hurting? Those who have been crying for justice, and we've just been like, no, you know what, you're you're misunderstanding it. You know what, at some point, we need to slow down long enough to go, how can I come alongside them? And herein is the beauty of how the early church responded. At least for Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James, they did not stand back and try to protect their influence. They didn't remain silent and on the sidelines, right? We have been called to be peacemakers, not conflict avoiders. No, we're not called to be jerks in the process. We're not called to be disrespectful and point fingers and play the dirty game that the rest of the world seems to be playing. But we need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in us. But we do so with gentleness and respect, We love the people we're talking to because at the end of the day, our goal is not to win an argument. Our goal is to reflect the heart of Jesus. And I'm so grateful that the early church leaders, those four guys at least, were willing to put their influence on the line. Were willing to stand up in the midst of people and to push against injustice. It's hard to do it, especially when you're surrounded by your peers who think differently than you. It's, it's very, very difficult. But we have not been called to protect our power and our influence. It, it, there's, there's somebody in Scripture that's described like that. It's the guy who buried the talent that God gave him. Didn't go so well for him. We're called to invest the talents, the time, the time, The influence, the voice, the platform that we have, and we all have one. It looks different for each of us. But we are called to invest it, to lean into it, to say, God, how would you use what you've entrusted in my hands to affect change here and now? To live in the world, but not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Not fight like the world does. Not to treat people who disagree with me like they're the enemy. They're not the enemy. We have an enemy who loves to stir the pot and boy, oh boy, does it seem like he's winning right now. But we need to be a people who keep our eyes on Christ and say, God, how would you have me respond? So how do we do that? Practically speaking, how do we live as a people who are in this world, who are a light in this world, but aren't conformed to this world? A couple of thoughts. First, It's going to require us not to start by pointing outside of ourselves and pointing to other people and saying, you're the problem. It's going to start with us needing to look at ourselves and say, in what ways am I the problem? What do I need to see? Maybe it's the prayer that David wrote in Psalm 139. Search me and know me, God. Know my innermost thought. Holy Spirit, just just come in and begin to expose the areas in my life that are contrary to your heart. Even the areas of our church that are bent in a contrary way to your heart. Show me the things that are impeding your gospel from advancing into my neighbor's lives. Show me the ways that I have been misrepresenting your heart in this world. Let's start there. Give me the courage to look and to listen. How do we do that? Well, part of it is simply a posture of open-handedness and prayer. It starts with us humbling ourselves enough to be teachable. One of the biggest issues with the Pharisees is that they were not teachable. Jesus could point out the inconsistencies with their theological perspective all day long, but it wouldn't make one iota because at the end of the day, their hearts were hardened. They had nothing to learn. They knew. And when you already know, you don't listen very well. May we be a people who are willing and humble enough to listen. And that includes not just listening to the Holy Spirit, but that includes listening to other perspectives. Far too many of us surround ourselves with people who just affirm what we already believe. We find ourselves in echo chambers and we wonder how the world sees things differently than we do. How could you possibly support that person when this perspective is the right one? Obviously, everybody agrees with me. No, everybody you're listening to agrees with you. May we be a people who are courageous enough to listen to people who don't agree with us. Not because they're automatically right and we're automatically wrong. But let us never make the mistake of thinking we have a monopoly on the right answer or that our perspective is the only one. May we have the courage to listen to other voices and other perspectives because only then will we be able to recognize that not everybody sees the world the way that we do. Not everybody's lives look exactly like our lives. Not everybody carries the same values. How can you have a conversation with someone if you don't begin to get to know them? How can we expect other people to listen to us if we won't take the time to listen to them? Again, I'm not suggesting that they're automatically right, but if we hope to have a conversation and we're just trying to like cajole them into listening to us, maybe we need to change our posture and go, you know what, I'd like to to hear what you have to say. And then shut up long enough to hear them and not be on the defense all the time. I would also suggest, and by the way, as somebody who's been using social media a lot to have conversations, I would suggest that social media is probably not the best venue to have that. The unfortunate part of social media is that it takes very complex, nuanced thinking, and it boils it down to a couple of sentences. And so all nuance goes out the window. All gray, like I'm in process kind of stuff, goes out the window. All the give and take that happens when you're eye to eye with somebody else. When body language softens the power of words. When you have the ability to explain. And, 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 and when, when something you say doesn't necessarily make sense, rather than just drawing the worst possible conclusion, you have the opportunity for the back and forth. I don't think social media is the best venue for us to have these conversations, but it seems like in this season, it's the only venue that we're taking. I pray that we will be the kind of people who will have deeper conversations. Life groups are one of those places. And even conversations that are happening on YouTube. I'm, I'm going to be watching one later today with um, you know, a pastor back in New York who sat down with, one of, uh, uh, with a leader who, who, it, who himself is grappling through these things. And it's just a dialogue. I'm going to be continuing to listen to more of those. Not simply because I don't know all the answers, although I don't have all the answers, but because I want to learn. And I want to see the world through multiple perspectives because it begin, can begin to help me better understand how to step into it. And it's a lot of it is praying through those things. Listening to somebody and then going, okay, Holy Spirit, help me make sense of this. Sitting down with your life and going, let's, let's process this together. And then finally, when we recognize that there's areas in our lives that do not align with the heart of Jesus, may we have the courage the humility, the strength to admit that perhaps the ways we've been doing things hasn't been all that helpful. May we have the humility to say, I am in process. I have a lot more to learn. But I'm willing to be part of the solution rather than simply reacting to change and pushing it away or pointing at somebody else and saying they're the ones who need to change. May we be the kind of people who say, here I am, God. Help yourself to my life. Use me to bring about the change in this world that you want to see. Use me to bring about the change in this church that you want to see. Use me to bring about the change you want to see in this city that you want to see, right? But that begins here. Search me and know me. Know my innermost thoughts. Show me how to reflect your heart. Give me the courage to do so. Lighthouse family, I love you guys. I miss you so much. And I look forward to when we can sit and reason together, not be six feet apart. I grieve what's happening in our country right now. We feel so disunified. And we are becoming more and more polarized because we have forgotten how to listen. And I know that there's a lot of us who are afraid to do anything because we're afraid of doing it wrong. And I get there's a cost to standing up. But we cannot stay silent. May we not say our own wisdom. May we be the kind of people who say, God, give me the words to say, or just give me the wisdom to know how to respond. May we be part of change. Holy Spirit, we invite you to help yourself to our lives. I thank you for the ways that you have shaped us. I thank you for the ways that you are with us and you guide us. I thank you for the ways that you have blessed us. We stand firmly in positions of of privilege and strength. Even though many of us don't have a whole lot, and a lot of us are being affected right now by this shutdown. Many of us are financially hurting. Many of us are scared. Many of us look at the the, the skin tone and say, "Ah, I don't think I have a right to say anything. God, would you show us what it means to be your people here and now? We pray for your protection over our world. We know that sometimes it has to get uglier before people are willing to change in order to kind of shake us out of our lethargy and out of our, our position of comfort. We're not comfortable right now. And right now, staying the same is too painful. And I'm grateful for that because that may be the only thing that's prompting us to change. Father God, help yourself to our lives. Help yourself to our time, to our platforms, to our spheres of influence, to our stuff. Show us how you would have us use these things to lift others up, hurting people on both sides of the aisle, We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use your church. We pray, Father God, that your name would be made great. We pray, Jesus, in your name and in your power, help yourself to our lives. Amen. Let's worship together.
1: Make this your prayer. You can declare it. Jesus your name is power Jesus your name is mine Jesus your name will break every stronghold Jesus your name is life Let's do that again Jesus, your name is power. Jesus, your name. your name is he Jesus your name is life Jesus your name will free every captive. Jesus your name is life Jesus your name Your name brings life, Jesus. Your name above every other. Jesus, your name is life. One more time, let's sing. He is holy. Jesus, your name is holy. There's a song that we get to sing that we've sang for many generations because with all of the stuff going on in the world right now, we don't know. They tried to tell us they're in control, they're in control and just like Pastor just shared, we know who is in control. So this morning as we sing together right where you are, we're going to proclaim how great our God is. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome Consider all the worlds thy hands have made I see the stars I hear the rolling thunder Thy power throughout the universe display it sings my soul, my Savior That God his Son was very sent him to die, I scarce to take it in that shall come. Wish out of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in home.
0: it's really important for us to remember that our God is greater than everything that we're encountering right now. It's important for me to remember because, man, the, the challenges that we're facing are overwhelming. The friction that we're seeing, the division, the anger. May we be a people who reflect his heart into this world. May we be a people who reflect the values of the kingdom of God instead of the values of the society we were raised in. May we be a people that rather than trying to hold on to whatever power and influence we have at the detriment or to the detriment of others, may we be the kind of people who open the fingers of our heart And hold out all of the privilege and all of the influence and all of the stuff that God has blessed our lives with and say, Here we are. Here I am. Everything I've got, it's yours. Help yourself to it. My influence, my name, my platform. Help yourself to it to advance your kingdom. Your will be done, not mine. May your kingdom come crashing, beginning in my heart and into my home and into my neighborhood and into my city and throughout this world, may your kingdom will be done. I miss you. Know that this week I will give you an update on what the reopening of our gathering on Sundays will look like. If you're not receiving those, again, Email pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. If you would like to let us know about a way we can be praying for you, we're praying regularly for these prayer requests. Just email them to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. If you're new to Lighthouse and you would like to know how you can give financially, you can do that. You can do so from our website, lighthousecommunity.com. But my brothers and my sisters, may we be ambassadors of hope, light shining brightly in the darkness because our world needs us to reflect his heart way more than they need us to reflect our own perspectives. May we be the kind of people who listen and have the courage to then voice what we hear the Holy Spirit placing on our hearts. And until we hear him speak, may we just listen. Have a wonderful week. I love you.